listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. We are starting a new series. It seems like I get to always come in and, and do a new series introduction. I promise I won't make it six weeks before I speak again. Um, but Joshua is the next series, the next book we're going to dive into. And uh, before I really go into a large introduction of the book, I'm, I'm going to do more of an introduction next week to the book and how we can understand it and how we should apply it. It's obviously a, a book in our time, in our culture, and, and as followers of Jesus that can also sometimes be confusing as you read it. You read things that are a little bit, they seem contradictory to how we're supposed to live our lives. And so next week I'm going to dive into the introduction and how as Christians we can understand Joshua and how we should apply it. But this week I really really just want to uh, look at maybe one or two verses at the very beginning and just kind of keep it real for a moment and, and talk a little bit about change and talk a little bit about what, it, what it leadership is going to look like as pastoring is going to look like here. Because I think a lot of you haven't really got a chance to talk with me or get to know me and I haven't really got a chance to talk and know you very well and I'm looking forward to getting to know you better and getting into the weeds with your life and things. Um, but I thought maybe this would be a good way to kind of introduce the book, introduce this new time as me stepping in as, as your senior pastor. Does that work okay? Yeah. All right. Well, I know for one thing that change can be hard. How many of you like change? All right. That's kind of what I thought. Yeah. How many of you don't like change? Yeah, that, that sounds about right. That sounds right. Change is not something that all, often will come easily. And it kind of depends on the type of change, right? Obviously, a promotional change is a different kind of thing that most people would be like, yeah, that's a great change. I love that. Uh, change where it's kind of impressed upon us and, and maybe something that we didn't get to choose for ourselves is obviously a, a little more difficult, right? A loss of some kind, some kind of a step backwards in one way or another is how it feels. Those types of changes are, are not always great. And I found a great quote here from the National Library of Medicine. Let me just read it for you. Change is more likely to lead to stress when the change has consequences for matters that are central to one's sense of self. And particularly so when the personal self is salient. This effect is mediated by feelings of uncertainty. You know, our first night here in Pullman, I didn't realize how bright it got so early in the morning. And so when my kids, who are six and four, decided to come in at 4.30 a.m. when the sun was out, that was not a change that I really appreciated, <laughs> especially after moving all day. And I think that was the, the first time I got to see my wife cry for a little while, too, was that 4.30 wake up and the boys were looking at us very confused on why we're telling them to go back to bed. And so that's a change that, that me and my wife were trying to go through, and it's, it was deeply disturbing. Um, as you could imagine, that 4.30 wake-up call, and many of you parents probably recognize, yes, this is something I'll have to get used to. But what we find is change is most stressful when it disrupts our life, when it's disruptive, right? Change is, is not something that's welcome when it's disruptive to our lives, and especially when it leaves with this uncertainty, because that's the first thing I thought when my boys came and jumped on me at 4.30 a.m. last Sunday morning. I thought, is, is this is what it's going to be like? Is this my new reality? The uncertainty of knowing I'll never sleep again was, was something I, I was very afraid of and a realistic thing that I thought maybe was going to be my reality. So we see often um, change when it's disruptive and when it brings this type of uncertainty can be scary and it can be um, a little jarring to a lot of us. 
And we see this a lot when it happens in leadership, right? If you've ever been at work and you've gotten a new boss or you've gotten a new manager, there's a little bit of uncertainty in those types of changes, right? You guys have ever been there? Have you guys ever gone through a leadership change like that where you're going, boy, I don't really know how this is going to work. This is scary. And it is scary, right? And I expect, you know, as I, as I step into this, this position, I know that there's going to be some hesitancy of change, and I understand that's good. You should, that's normal to have a sense of hesitancy and uncertainty when it comes to change. In fact, 80% of people, a poll was taken, 80% of people are stressed in change of uncertainty. 80%. So that's, that's a large number of you that could be looking at, going at, looking at this situation we're in right now as a church and going, how is this going to go? How is this going to go? And in fact, I'm doing the same thing. How am I, how is this going to go? Right? So it's, it's an okay thing to understand that change can be difficult. It can be hard. In fact, one of the things that we see in the book of Joshua, the book introduces us into a time of change. The first line in the book of Joshua introduces a time of change. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to or tap to Joshua chapter 1. We're going to look at just the first two verses today. I have a lot of passages for you today, two verses in total. But I promise we'll do more. Joshua 1, 1 through 2. It says, After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, that's the, the word abed in Hebrew, that's, that's important, the word Lord's servant, abed. The Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, or, or Sharath, that's kind of like a, a minister, or prime minister maybe, or something like that we might use today. Moses, my servant, is dead. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, now put yourself in the Israelite shoes for a minute. Okay, the, the Bible doesn't talk about how the, what the emotional experiences were for the Israelites, but I think knowing humanity, we can kind of relate to what they must have been going through. I mean, a whole generation of people, of Israelites wandering the desert, had grown up with Moses as their leader. That's all they would have known. For 40 years, they would have grown up, all they would have known is Moses as their leader, and then all of a sudden, he's gone on the precipice of one of the scariest, most dangerous things that they're ever going to undertake. They know there's giants in the promised land. They know there's things that are trying to hurt them in the promised land. There's a lot of uncertainty in the promised land. And then their leader is taken right as they are entering into this time. You think there was a bit of stress? I think, I think there was a lot of stress going on through the tents and camps of Israel during this time, because it's just humanity in its way. It understands that as things change, especially in things like leadership, when you've had somebody like a Moses or a Gary for so long, <laughs> it can be stressful and uncertain and bring uncertainty as you think about the future and as you think about embarking on something new into a new season. And I get that. I think Israel would have understood this. And I think even the way that the Bible is teaching us here and in using this passage, introducing us into Joshua, I think they're trying to set the stage that it is a time of, of, of a little bit of fear, feeling maybe a little bit weaker, a little bit scary as they go into change. I imagine it was very concerning for the Israelites. Which is why if you read the first chapter of Joshua, there is one main theme that goes to that whole first chapter which is mentioned four times, which is be strong and courageous. Four times, God says this to Joshua and the people of Israel, be strong and courageous. And I don't think you say that to somebody who's already being strong and courageous. 
right? You say that to somebody who is, I'm scared out of my wits and I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to do. Therefore, God says, be strong and courageous. And he says it four times, which is a huge theme through the entire book. Be strong and courageous as they lead through change. God is telling Israel that even though change is occurred, how has occurred, he is the unchanging one who will lead them. He is getting their minds off of the idea of the uncertainty and fear and stresses that comes through change. And he's going to remind them of who he is, the unchanging one. Because we know in Hebrews 13, 8, that says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That the promises that he's going to read, read off in this book, that he's going to give off to, to Joshua and the Israelites, are one that he is still the same. The same God who spoke to Israel, the same God who spoke to Abraham, the same God who met Moses on the mountain, who was with them wandering through the 40 years in the desert, he is still there, and he is still with them. And I think even for us, as, as we, as a church, have gone through the last year, even when I wasn't around, and I've been able to observe a lot of what's going on and things of the past, we still can remember that our God is unchanging. The Lord was with us through all of it. He was there with us, building us up, preparing us, equipping us to be a body that is ready to embark onto something new. Do you guys sense that? Good, good. Because through change, Jesus will rebuild and restore. Through change, Jesus will rebuild and restore. There's a, there's a great psalm, that one of my favorite psalms is Psalm 30, verse 11. And I think this is, is, turning, this is really what it means to, to seek Jesus in the sense of, of, of how he changes, or seek, so seek him through the times of changing it says, he is going to turn your mourning into dancing. He will remove your sackcloth and cloth you with gladness. In Psalm 30, verse 11, this is what David sings to the Lord. That change a lot of times can bring a lot of uncertainty and stress and fear. And as Israel would have encountered as they were getting ready to cross the Jordan, knowing what was ahead of them, there probably was very much that reality as well. But what I think God really wants to speak to us today as a church is that he's going to take those uncertainties, the fears, the mourning, all of that, and he's going to turn it into joy and gladness and a time of, of renewal and rebuilding. And, um, you know, Jesus walks into a, a synagogue. This is not a start of a joke. It somehow always comes off. But every time I say that, it comes off like a joke. Jesus walks into a synagogue. Can't help it. And he pulls out the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads from Isaiah 61, and he says, in that day, it will be fulfilled, that in the presence of that day, that that scripture is being fulfilled. And a portion of Isaiah 61, which I think is very powerful, and one that I think is, is really, is, is extremely relative, is that in Isaiah 61, there's a portion of it that says that he will rebuild and restore the old ruins, the ancient ruins. In Isaiah 61, in the sense that he rebuilds and restores the things that had happened before into something that is brand new. In fact, that is what God's mission is all about, isn't it? Where God intervenes and comes into creation, restoring and rebuilding the things that sin had destroyed. Rebuilding and reclaiming the things that were taken from him at creation in Genesis 3. Those things that he's redeeming and reclaiming, 
he is going to do again in the times of change. So change can be scary. I know it can be uncertain. And one thing that we can do as a a body to, to really help work through change, the number one thing we can do is listen. The number one thing I can do to help you facilitate through change is listen. And so one thing I want to make sure you all know as real life church people is that my door is open, that I am available and and I want you to communicate with me the things that you're working through and processing as you work through change, as you you wrestle with things of the past, as God rebuilds and restores this real life church into a place that will shine all across the Palouse. Look at that. I'm already using the lingo. All right. I like it. You guys do that for me? I will listen. I have two ears and one mouth for a reason. I'm going to try to use the things that God gave me more of, which is to listen. So let's listen to one another through change. Let's be there for one another through change. Let's communicate and be transparent with one another through change. You guys down for that? Okay. The second part I really want to touch on as well is, is this aspect of what it means to, to be a pastor. What's it mean to, to step into a position like this as a leader? I think it'd be wise to to talk about that a little bit. And I'm just going to really speak a lot from my heart, but also I I think this text really says something about the way that leadership is is modeled. Because what it says in in Joshua 1, it calls Moses the Lord's servant. The Lord's servant. Now think about that. Why would they use the word servant considering all the other things that Moses had done? You could have said Moses, the Lord's servant, great prophet, which is how he was known for generations to come. Moses, the, the great miracle worker who, think, who crossed the things like there or split the, the Dead Sea or the Red Sea. I mean, there could have been a number of things that they could have used to call Moses, the great ruler of Israel, the great leader of Israel, but he's no, he's called an abed, a servant. A slave is the word abed. A slave, a servant of the Lord. You know, early on in my pastoring career, this is probably seven years ago, it was a term that some of you probably are familiar with. It's called the Moses model of leadership. The Moses model of leadership. And I didn't really know what that was, but I got to see it. I've observed over the years. And, and really what it is is when one person kind of, or the pastor usually just kind of rules the church. He kind of has, he's the, he's the prophet, seer, and revelator for the church. Right? It's what they call the, the Moses model. But I think that misses what the Moses model really was. Because Moses' model was that of a servant. It was that of a, 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 an abed. Someone who served and ministered. It's very significant that this scripture doesn't use the other titles that you could have used for Moses. Because it shows a comparison of two different kingdoms. We read about a, a kingdom of Pharaoh in Exodus. Later on in the Old Testament, we read about the kingdoms of Babylon These two kingdoms are actually metaphors for what it looks like to have human power versus godly kingdom power. Did you guys ever notice those two differences? That Israel is constantly in in resistance to the things that are of Pharaoh and the things that are of Babylon. Later in the New Testament, we see the things that are of Rome. These three powers, these three kingdoms, contrast that of what a kingdom of God looks like. In fact, Jesus spends a lot of time speaking about the contrast between these two worlds. And I think too often what happens 
especially if, you, if you're listening to podcasts or have any kind of insight into what's going on in the nation, national view of the church, really is this idea of where pastors, including myself even at times, or especially early on in my, in my ministry, really saw pastoring as more of an authoritative position, more of a power type of position. And that resembles more of a pharaoh or a Babylon than it ever does a servant. And I think that's done a lot of damage within our churches. Not even just real life, but I think just globally. I mean, it doesn't take much to find this, how these, these issues cross into the kingdom of God church and become, become issues. Characterized, these, these, pharaoh, these pharaoh powers or Babylonian powers, they're marked and characterized by things like oppression, injustice, ruthlessness, and the quest for domination over another person. Those things are, those are things of the opposite of what kingdom of God power is. Those are the opposite things of what Jesus did, right? He was not oppressive. He was not injustice. He, didn't, he was not ruthless. He was one that was characterized by that of a servant. And unfortunately, a lot of times, as humans, we become more enthralled with the temptation for power and authority than we do about the blessing that comes from being a servant. doesn't matter if you're a pastor or if you're someone who serves, you're someone who's just leading a small group or a Bible study, the temptation is there. And that's why it's so important to recognize that what Moses is being called out for is not his authority or his power or his leadership, but his servanthood. His abed, his the fact that he could enslave himself to the people of Israel for the sake of what the Lord wanted him to do. In fact, this is something that even Paul in Romans will, will capture. If you read a lot of his introductions, in like the book of Romans, for example, he calls himself a doulos to the Lord Jesus, a slave, a servant of the Lord Jesus to his people. This is a, a direct connection to what Moses is being called and what we are called to be as followers of Jesus are people who serve one another, not to have power and authority and dominion over one another. In fact, I think a lot of the issues that we see just in churches general ties into this. In fact, one statistic I read, it said in 1985, 67% of people held pastors to high ethical or standard of honesty, 67%. I mean, I wasn't a great student, but 67 is passing, right? <laughs> Guess what it is now? 36%. 2022, the, the, the survey, same survey was taken, same questions, 36% thought the same thing of pastors from 1985 to 2022. Part of this, again, I think is due to the fact that we've raised up Pharaoh and Babylonian type of power authority domination and put it into the pulpits. And that's something that I've seen and, and been a part of and have been affected by. I don't know if you, if you're in church for more than any ten, certain amount of time, you've probably been affected by this over the next last, the last 20 years. And something that I have devoted myself now to resist. And I promise you as your pastor, as someone who's stepping into this position and thankful, I'm so, I'm so blessed by the elders that are holding myself accountable to making sure this will never happen at Real Life Church. Isn't that a good thing? 
We have great elders who are going to make sure that this doesn't happen. We have great staff to make sure this doesn't happen. That we are raising up a, a culture of servanthood in real life church, not one of Pharaoh or of Babylon. Because our witness to the world is being very particularly watched right now. A lot of eyes are on how the church culture is going to function. They're waiting, they're looking for a Pharaoh and a Babylonian culture. But what I hope and my prayer is that in real life church, they're going to see that of a kingdom of God culture, where it's about liberty, where it's about servanthood, where it's about dropping yourself to the lowest place in order to lift up those around you. And again, this starts with listening. It starts with being there for one another, for doing more of this and less of this. I think that's a huge way to start. At Real Life Church, that is going to be the model. And that's what we're going to pursue with servanthood leadership in a Christ-like way. Jesus gives us the perfect example. In Matthew 20, 25 through 29, he, he lays exactly out to his disciples what leadership looks like. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. This is his direct connection to the pharaohs and the Babylonians, everyone who's non-Jew, the Romans, the Greeks, they all do this. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. That word there really is the idea of dominion, domination over one another. Remember the context here, the the disciples are arguing which one's going to be greater. That's the context of this. They're arguing about who's going to have the greater position in in this kingdom of God that Jesus is bringing in. This is what Jesus says to them, not so with you. You are not to act that way. You are not to lord it over one another. You are not to to have exercise and authority over one another in the fact of domination over one another. He says, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. The kingdom of God is about servanthood about walking alongside one another, getting beneath one another to lift each other up. Ephesians talks very clearly about what it means to be a person, like a pastor. It is to build up and equip the body for works of service so that you all can also be servants. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your doulos, your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the perfect example of what it means to lead within the servanthood of of Christ, of what it means to be a servant in Christ. If you have any idea of what leadership looks like, if you want to seek and go, what does it look like to be a leader within the kingdom of God? Look to Jesus. How did he treat people? How did he look at people? How did he walk with people? You will learn so much just from examining his life in the four gospels of what it looks like to come under beneath and be there for one another. And that is my heart and my dream for this place is that we be a place who pursue a servanthood like Christ. That we're not seeking after the the being the mouthpieces or the pioneers or the entrepreneurs or the influencers. Those things aren't impressive to God. It's the servants that he's looking for. It's the servants he's looking for. And again, my my promise to you, I'm going to do the best I can, absolute best I can at making sure that I'm demonstrating this in a healthy 
way. I'm probably going to fail a few times. So I need a lot of grace. Prayer would be nice. If you get a moment, think about me. Because as your new pastor, that's all my heart wants to do is come in and serve you, get below you so I can help lift you up to places where you're going to succeed. Where your dream, your kingdom visions, where your things that you want to see done in the kingdom of God are going to be able to be realized. That's what I want. I mean, loving people is what I get to do all my life. I'm a professional Christian. It's awesome. <laughs> like, I get to just love you. I think that's the, it's, it's the simplistic thing you can think of is just getting be able to get involved in your life in the good seasons and the bad seasons and the hard seasons and the abundant seasons and be able to just love you and get below you and point you to the real Joshua. I don't know if you guys knew this, but Jesus' Hebrew name was Yeshua, which is how we get the word Joshua. So we're going to be reading about the very Joshua, the fulfilled Joshua, and the New Testament with Jesus. And here we are again, following in the footsteps of another Joshua, another Yeshua. Don't look at me as your Joshua, okay? I am not Joshua, but I will point you to the Joshua. Okay, I will point you to Jesus. And I will try to demonstrate and model my life after Jesus. And if you come on board, great. We'll all walk together in this new season of walking with our Lord. Because I'm here to be your shepherd, your friend, your pastor, not your ruler. Hey, I'm not your ruler, your king. Everyone's looking for a king. I'm not the king, all right? Jesus is our king. Jesus is our king. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.